Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for being here today to worship with us at the Vista. Whether this is your first time or you've been with us uh, for a really long time, uh, we are always grateful you've chosen to spend part of your Sunday morning uh, with us. Before we get into our text uh, this morning, I wanted to mention um, our Discover the Vista class that's coming up. Um, We offer this class every single month here at the Vista. This is, um, if you're interested in becoming a covenant member of our church, this would be uh, the class or the series of classes for you. Um, And again, we offer this every month. And um, again, this is just a class where you can learn about the church. Um, Some of you, you know, it's January, new commitments. Maybe you've been attending for a while um, and it's kind of, you know, it's time to Time to put a ring on it, if, if you will, right? It's time to make a commitment, right? Uh, this would be a great class for you to, to be a part of. We go over really everything about our church. Um, we talk about what we believe. We talk about how we got started. We talk about our, we, our, you'll meet a lot of our staff, our ministries, how to get plugged in and connected, how we govern our church. There's just a lot of stuff in there for you if you're curious. Um, and there's no obligation. We don't have any, you know, bouncers at the door waiting to like shake you down or anything like that. But it's a, a class if you want to check out and learn more about the Vista, um, Discover the Vista would be the way to do that. So the next class starts February the 5th. Um, if you can't make the February uh, classes, then there's, uh, again, it'll, it'll happen again in March. But just want to kind of encourage you, um, because here at the Vista, we don't want you to just attend. We don't want to be a place that you just attend. We want to be a place that you belong. And that's harder and harder to do the bigger that we get. And we realize that. And so um, we're constantly trying to sort of push you into um, community and family and just a deeper sense of, of belonging here, all right? Uh, this morning, we're in the third week of our series, And. Um, and me and Austin, as we talked about how to start the year off, we, we talked about the fact that there are a lot of things that society, culture, and even the church uh, sort of camps that you're always sort of being pushed into. And then once you get in a particular camp, you seem to be pushed further and further into that camp. Um, and again, we're just sort of forced to decide. It's, it's either this or it's this. And so the basis of the series is that there are a lot of things that we think it would be healthier if we would stop seeing it as either or and we started seeing it as and. And then we learn to walk in the tension that living in the and brings. Okay, so we've talked about a number of things. And This morning, I've picked a topic that I'm sure we're all gonna agree on. There will be no disagreement whatsoever. We're gonna talk about conservative and progressive. (laughs) Some of you are are like, I knew I shouldn't have been at church this morning. Man, should have gone to that other place, right? Um, I think these two ideologies, the reason I think this is super important um, to discuss, and if you don't like the sermon, just email Austin. He'll he'll sort it all out. But... (laughs) I think it's important to talk about because I think these two ideologies, um, maybe as much or more than anything else, they seem to battle to be the source of our identity, uh, again, as much or more than just about anything else. Um, again, there's the, every, everything sort of screams, pick a side. And this is true politically, it's true socially, it's true theologically, Um, It's true fiscally or financially. Everyone wants to know, are you a conservative person? Are you a more progressive person, right? Um, And and in the church, it's a legitimate question. Like as Christians, as followers of Jesus, or as a church corporately, should we be known as as a more conservative place? Or should we be willing to be a more progressive, be known as a more progressive place? Where should we fall? What is that supposed to look like for people that follow Jesus? And again, our hope and our prayer um, is that we would stop maybe trying to be all of this or more of this and then more of this and learn 
maybe to walk in the tension where we wanna be conservative and progressive in the right ways. And then what are those right ways? How do we discern that? I think biblically, we can see some examples of both. So if you have your Bibles, we'll start in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15, you can begin to turn. 1 Corinthians 15, um, in a little bit, we'll throw the verses up here on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Um, But I think it's safe to say that Corinth, of all the letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament to the churches, um, I think it would be safe to say that Corinth was arguably the most progressive church of all of the New Testament churches. I think they could rightly be described as a highly progressive liberal church for a lot of reasons. Um, Paul writes his letter, and if you read through 1 Corinthians, he's sort of um, getting on to them, if you will, trying to correct them in a number of ways. They are um, ignoring some sin in their midst as a church because culturally, that sin was fine. Culturally, that was the norm. Culturally, that was acceptable, and so they're just sort of letting some things go, and they're kind of going off the rails. Things like rampant sexual immorality, culturally normal, In the church, they were just kind of ignoring some stuff. Paul writes to go, hey, that's not okay for God's people. Things like idolatry, there's a section in there where Paul addresses idolatry, materialism. Even spiritually, they would have been considered a pretty progressive church spiritually. They were misusing spiritual gifts. They were using their spiritual gifts to to thinking they were higher and better and more holy as like a a sign of how pious and holy they were. And Paul's like, that's not what spiritual gifts are for. So Paul has to write on a number of different levels because across the board, they they were highly progressive, highly liberal, living some things out. And Paul seems to be writing in a lot of ways to sort of rein them in a little bit. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, I've always loved this, towards the back of the letter that he writes, he reminds these Christians of the gospel, which is always interesting to me because I'm like, they're Christians who have already heard the gospel. They've apparently responded to the gospel. He calls them brothers and sisters in Christ. So they've already heard the gospel and responded to the gospel. And yet, when he writes to them, he wants to remind them of the gospel, to stay tethered to, to stay tied to the gospel. So we'll read it in 1 Corinthians 15, verses one through four, again, towards the back of his first letter to the church in Corinth. He writes, now I would remind you brothers of the gospel that I preached to you, um, which you received and in which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, what I also received, Paul says, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. I highlighted the words received. He reminds them that they received a gospel. And then he also says, it's the same one that I also received. And that's important because um, when it comes to, you know, how progressive we should be, um, culture, society, norms should never be our standard. Paul's reminding this somewhat progressive church, he's almost kind of saying, hey, y'all need to stop. Like, don't be so progressive. You actually need to be more conservative. You need to be tethered to, tied to the gospel. We have a received faith. We've received it. It's been passed down. It's been handed down from faithful brothers and sisters in Christ who have gone before. And so he's reminding them of the gospel saying, I received it. I gave it to you. You received it. We don't get to make it up as we go along. 
We don't get to make up the face. We don't get to like change it to fit our cultural sensibilities. We don't. And Paul's telling the church in Corinth that very thing. You don't get to tweak it. You don't get to change it. You don't get to rule stuff out you don't like. You don't get to, you know, manipulate the gospel to fit your social norms. Be tied to, be tethered to the gospel. So on the one hand, you could go, it seems like Paul in both this letter and other letters, he's writing to churches that have the tendency to get too progressive and he's telling them to rein it in a little bit. It's almost like he's saying, be more conservative and be tied to the gospel. And while all that is true, there's also a lot of truth both scripturally and throughout church history that the church has to be, needs to be progressive in the right ways. I'll say it this way. You and I would not be here today sitting in church with our friends, family, um, worshiping. We would not be here today if it wasn't for some rather progressive Christians before us that helped lead the church through some really important and meaningful changes things that were seen as highly progressive. You and I simply wouldn't, we wouldn't be here. I'll give you an example over in, um, you can flip over there with me if you want, in uh, Acts chapter 11. In Acts chapter 11, one of the monumental progressive sort of changes that allowed us in the church. Peter had uh, gone and uh, been with these Gentiles non-Jewish people that had heard the gospel, responded to the gospel, and then received the Holy Spirit. So Peter's going back then to the church, the Jewish church at that time. It was made up of of Jewish people, and he's explaining to them kind of what happened here. In Acts 11, verse 1, it says this, now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. And so when Peter went up to Jerusalem to the circumcision party, so that's the Jewish believers, they criticized him. They criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised non-Jewish men and you ate with them, you had fellowship with them. But Peter began to explain it to them in order. And so Peter kind of walks through for them hey, I was there. I saw them respond to the gospel. And, and I, I was a witness. I saw them receive the Holy Spirit. Just like we receive the Holy Spirit, they receive the Holy Spirit. And so then down in verse 17, he says, if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, well, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. You and I are here to a large degree because some progressive changes happened in the church, allowing the gospel and the Holy Spirit um, to, uh, to be present with Gentiles. They, like they, they, they allowed us to be in the group. They allowed us to be in the church. At the time, that was a monumental shift, a monumental change. As you go on through church history, and I'll do my best to be like, you know, a quick, quick church history lesson here. You see the same thing happen over and over and over again, where the church is willing to be progressive in the right ways, make some really important changes. Um, there, in the 16th century, there was a, a monumental movement called the Protestant Reformation. Maybe you've heard of it, right? Kind of a big deal. And essentially, um, that was some reformers um, breaking off, breaking away from what was the state church, the the Roman Catholic Church. 
And um, this was seen as a very progressive movement, very progressive idea to break away from the, the, the big church, right? And um, again, the, the Catholic church, the Roman Catholic church, they had a, a statement, sort of a motto, it was a Latin phrase, and um, that, that motto was simply semper idem. Semper idem, which means always the same. And so their idea, the, the, the idea was that God, Scripture says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so they would say the same then is true for the church. The church should be the same. The church should not change. The church should be held to tradition of the way we've always done it. This is the way that it should be. And so they, they stuck to that. Well, the reformers... Um, they also had a statement. Theirs was a little bit longer, and I'll try not to butcher it here, a Latin phrase. Um, and their statement, their motto kind of in reply to that was Ecclesia Reformata, Semper Reformanda Secundum Verbum Dei. Don't worry, there, there won't be a test, right? <laughs> there won't be a test. Here's what that meant. It meant the church reformed, always being reformed according to the word of God, Okay. And so, again, the, 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 the Roman Catholic Church looked at this progressive group as breaking away, um, kind of out there, they're, they're, those crazy uh, liberal Christians breaking away. Um, but the reformers, they kind of looked at it like, no, we're not, we're not um, like being progressive according to culture. They said, we're, we're being progressive. The church needs to move and reform, but according to God's word. They saw it more as a calling back to some things that had been forgotten or neglected by the church because of tradition. And so their idea was that the church should always be changing. The church should always be progressing. The church should always be moving forward, again, in accordance with God's word, not with, not with culture. And it doesn't stop there. That was a monumental movement, but out of that comes a lot of denominations, right? And I don't have time to kind of walk you through all of the different denominational shifts and the, the denominations that sprang up. Um, but a lot of them, as denominations would spring up, they were basically looking at God's word and they were emphasizing, they were doing church in the way, uh, again, that they felt like God's word led them and called them to do that. So the church continued to progress. The church continued to reform, to change in a, in a lot of ways. Um, then you get down to Eventually you have the Anabaptists and even the Puritans a little bit later on, they began to see the church primarily not in terms of some really big organization, um, but rather as local congregations. They began to see them as local communities of faith, local congregations, and you have the rise of congregationalism. Where again, the church isn't seen as some big entity, but it's seen as expressions, local, local group. This was a crazy progressive idea at the time. And then out of congregationalism, you have a number of reforms, you have a number of progressive ideas that sprang from that, many of which we would not consider progressive at all. Today, we practice them as normal and they're, in fact, we might even call them old, like they're tradition, they're, you know, they're, uh, uh, they're conservative. But back when they were first started, they were actually considered quite progressive. I'll give you a few of those. Things like, again, the local church is a community of Christ followers and therefore, um, the church should be able to govern itself and make decisions in the best interest of that particular church. So the autonomy of the local church. That we as a church should not have to report or um, it should not be dictated to us from some other institution or organization or outside council that's not even around in our community how we should act and, 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 and how we should do church. There was this idea that each church can be autonomous and can make decisions for themselves and can govern themselves. Again, that was a crazy progressive idea that, 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 that was just not the norm. 
And today we're like, well, of course, of course we should make our own decisions, right? Another one was the idea of the priesthood of the believer. The idea that each believer has access to God through Christ. Because of Christ's sacrifice at the cross, um, scripture says that Jesus becomes our great high priest. Which means we don't have to go to um, you know, a priest or a, a religious figure. If I wanna talk to God, if I wanna pray to God, that I can go directly to God through Christ. That you don't have to come to me. I said this in the first service, like Austin and I are grateful. You don't have to come to us and confess all of your sin every single week. Because if you did, we would need more pastors, right? Like, <laughs> that would never work. There's not enough of us to go around. Like, um, the priesthood of the believer means that you, as a believer in Christ, that you have access directly to God the Father, and you can pray directly to God because of the substitutionary work of Jesus at the cross for you, right? And this was a crazy progressive idea. The priesthood of the believer. The belief that Scripture alone is the final authority for faith and practice. Scripture alone is the final authority that you and I, we can go directly to God's word and we can see how we're to live and, and we can, um, matters of theology and practice, they can come straight from God's word as the ultimate authority, that there's not some other figure out there that like um, his, his word carries as much or more weight than scripture, that that's, again, this was a crazy progressive idea. As more people became literate and learned to read the scriptures for themselves, the idea that the scriptures alone we're our final judge. We talk about this all the time. Like any religious figure that gets up and tells you a word from the Lord for you, like you just need to make sure, always do your own homework. Make sure that that word aligns with God's word. Because if it does not align with God's word, then that word is not from the Lord, right? It might be from someone. It ain't from the Lord, right? Another big um, shift was the idea of the sacraments in the church, that sacraments should be administered um, to people that have believed and placed their faith in Christ um, when they're old enough to really understand and profess faith in Christ. And so, again, this was a crazy progressive idea um, that you know we should practice the sacraments, but they should be for those that, that understand, those that can profess their faith in Jesus. Um, there was another one, the separation of church and state, which we take as a right. We take that as a right. We, we can all say, oh yeah, in America, we the separation of church and state. This was a crazy progressive idea that the church could break away from the big church and that there ought to be a separation that the state and the church should not dictate to one another um, how they operate and what they do. There ought to be a clear separation between those two, those two institutions. And so, again, a lot of this to us is like normal. We've had it this way. It might even be tradition, um, but a lot of this came about because the church was willing to be progressive in the right ways. The church was willing to progress, the church was willing to reform constantly and continually reform according to the word of God. Then you can even get into the modern era of church. The modern era brought a lot of, um, in, uh, a lot of attention to um, the person, you know, and there's a lot of negative that can come with that. You know, always thinking everything's about me and what I'm going through. And there's a lot of negative with that, but there's also some good because of the emphasis became less on um, the corporate, like, um, you know, the, the, the corporate standing with God and the understanding that faith is also personal, that you should have a personal relationship with God, that the faith of your grandparents or your parents is not sufficient for you that you need to have your own walk with the Lord. And so, um, again, no one's getting to heaven because their granddad was a preacher somewhere, right? No one's getting to heaven because their, their parents served the church faithfully. 
God doesn't have grandchildren, God has children, right? And so the, the idea is that you should have a personal relationship with the Lord. Then you think about even the postmodern church and all the different um, ways that, there's, that church is practiced that we couldn't do just decades ago. There are big churches, small churches, mega churches, house churches. There are um, multi-site, because of technology, multi-site churches and campuses, video venue, internet. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that the church is continuing to change. Um, and we can argue about, are all of those good or some of those negative? And I, I get it, but the idea is that the church is continually being reformed according to the word of God. And the danger is when we become a place that says, nope, we are gonna be conservative, we're gonna be kind of, never change, always the same. Well, some of you maybe were raised in churches like that, right? And the problem is when the church gets to a place where they refuse to change, they refuse to evolve, they refuse to progress in any way, sadly, many of those churches plateau and decline. In our country alone, over 3,000 churches close their doors every, uh, every year in America because they just, they don't, they don't wanna change, they don't wanna evolve, they don't wanna do anything new or different. And so, the church has to learn to be conservative, as Paul says. We gotta be tied to, tethered to the gospel. It's a received faith that we don't get to make up. We don't get to change it to fit our cultural sensibilities. While at the same time, the church must be willing to progress and to change and to reform and be ever reforming in order to reach and engage new people for the glory of Jesus, right? So the question then for us in the, in the little bit of time I have left is how do, we, how do we do that? How do we walk in that tension because I know, and one of the things I love about our church is that we have a, a diverse um, ideology in here, right? We have a lot of people from different backgrounds, different denominational backgrounds, some unchurched, some overchurched, like we've got them all over the political spectrum. We've got a little bit of everybody here, which I happen to think is a really good and beautiful thing. I think it actually speaks to the beauty and the diversity of our God that he wired us all a little bit differently. But if we get into these camps where we're like, nope, my way's right, everybody else is wrong. That's a problem, that's a problem. And so I just jotted down a few things this week about how we can hopefully learn to walk in the tension, not resolve the tension, because we're never gonna resolve the tension, but how we can learn to walk in the tension as brothers and sisters in Christ, right? The first one is this, keep your identity rooted in Christ and your ultimate allegiance to him. We have talked about this before, so I won't spend a lot of time here, but this one, if we're ever gonna learn to live in the tension of the conservative, progressive sort of pendulum and where we, where we should be, this has gotta be paramount. That our identity is rooted in Christ and our allegiance is to Christ. Because you're always gonna be sort of pushed to pick a team, to pick a camp, and then you're gonna be pushed further and further into that camp. Trust me, just watch the news, right? It's like no one's okay with just being in the middle. No one's okay with the end, it's, it's either or. And then the other side, whichever one you don't pick, they're the enemy, they're bad right? And so we've got to be willing to understand that our identity's got to be rooted in Christ. So you're not, are you a, are you a conservative Christian or are you a progressive Christian? No. How about, you're a Christian. My identity's with Jesus. And then wherever that leads, and there's different ways that's going to look, but my identity is in Christ. Every year during our Jesus for President, we push the idea that our ultimate allegiance is to Christ. We gather and we sing and we worship on election night because we go, look, I don't know how we're all gonna vote. We're gonna walk out of here and vote differently, but ultimately our allegiance is to King Jesus, right? And so we've gotta make sure that our identity and our allegiance ultimately is rooted in and to him first and foremost. If we can't do that, 
we're gonna have a hard time with the progressive conservative tension. The second thing I wrote down is to let God's word and the Holy Spirit, rather than culture, be our guide. This is kind of what Paul tells the Corinthians, that culture is a terrible standard for you to judge how progressive or conservative you should be. Um, That we don't just go along with every single thing culture says is acceptable or okay because the Bible calls some of it sin. And God's people don't just do whatever culture says, right? And there's a tension there. Austin talked about it last week, inclusion and judgment. Man, that's a, that's a tension. And we wanna be inclusive. We wanna be, inclu- like, I want more people to be here. I want more people to hear the gospel. Like, I want more sinners here. So we, on, to a certain degree, we wanna be inclusive, but we can't let culture be our guide. We've gotta let God's word and the Holy Spirit guide us in the way we live our lives in matters of faith and practice. Letting God's word and the Holy Spirit be the guide. There is a tendency, I'm telling you, there is always gonna be a tendency to sort of lean into and follow culture. But we've gotta be people that go, nope, God's word. God's word is what we go back to. The final thing I wrote down, it's not gonna sound revolutionary or anything or, or super deep, but it might be, I think, the most important and that is to be a good listener and be full of grace. Um, so many times, I know we all have opinions, we all have views, we all have different lenses through which we have viewed life that have brought us to some of our conclusions. And in my experience, whenever it comes to hearing different perspectives, different ideologies, um, we are so quick to want to espouse our own or want to defend our own that we often just don't listen that we often would rather uh, defend what I think is right rather than really actually listen to and hear someone else's story. Um, and, and I know, I, I, listen, James says, James was Jesus' half-brother. He wrote a little bitty book in the back of the New Testament called James, right? And in that book, it says, everyone should be quick to hear and slow to speak. So James basically tells Christians that we should be really good listeners and maybe stop talking so much, right? And I know that's ironic coming from me because I make a living talking, right? But like God gave us two ears and one mouth, but we always want to talk more than we listen. And I just think if we're going to live in the tension, we've got to be willing to listen. We've got to be willing to listen to other people's perspectives and their stories and their life. And let me just give you some permission really quick because listening doesn't mean you agree with everything they say. It doesn't mean you, you know, you support and you agree with everything, but you can be a good listener and hear other ideas and perspectives before feeling like you gotta jump in and defend and fight for your own. Be quick to hear and slow to speak. I think along with that comes, I mentioned just full of grace, that Christians ought to be, I believe, the most graceful people on the planet because we have been shown the most grace from our Father. And so what happens, sadly, is often Christians kinda get the, um, the label, the stereotype, if you will, of being not graceful but grace less. Instead of being full of grace, we're often viewed as being very judgmental. And so I just think this is such an important thing. If we're gonna be a place, be a people who walk in the tension, who live in the tension of conservative and progressive and all along the spectrum, we gotta be people who are willing to listen to others and be full of grace with other views. Listen, I, I think it's probably true for you. I know it's true for me. I have some different views right now than I did 20, 30 years ago, right? I'm guessing maybe you do too. 
Maybe not in everything, but in some things. I'm guessing you've, there's been some areas in which you've changed your view and your perspective. And I'm grateful for people that knew me back then that had some grace with me, that allowed me to grow and to change a little bit, that don't still hold me to stuff that I said or that I did or the ways that I acted way back then. And so I think we as Christians have to have that understanding and that idea with people. We need to be full, full of grace, give people room to grow and to change. The last thing that I wanted to just kind of mention is that one of the ways in our church that we sort of highlight this, we've talked about it a lot. If you've been to our church for any length of time or you've been through our Discover the Vista class, you've probably uh, heard us use the, um, the illustration of the closed hand and the open hand. Uh, again, I, I've said it before, I, I honestly don't even remember where I got this from. Uh, like 20 years ago, I heard someone say this and I just ripped it off and I've been using it ever since. So there you go. I wish I could cite my source, but I don't know what the source is. So this idea that every church, a healthy church, ought to have a closed hand and an open hand. This is a, a, an artist rendering, actually an artist in our church, Karen Smith, uh, did this rendering for us and we use it um, in our Discover the Vista classes and just kind of illustrate the point. That a healthy church should have a closed hand and an open hand. In a lot of ways you could say um, the closed hand are those things that we are going to, um, man, we're just not gonna budge on. These are beliefs, these are our received faith, these are, um, we're gonna be fundamental about the stuff in this hand because these are fundamentals to the faith, right? These are things that we absolutely have to believe and if we don't believe these things, then we're not the church, we're just not. We, we can be a good organization, we can do a lot of really cool stuff, we can meet some needs, but if we don't believe some stuff, if we're not tied to some things, then we're just not the church. So we've got a closed hand. But we also think that a healthy church should have an open hand. And in the open hand, there's, there's a lot of stuff over here that like I can have an opinion about, you can have a different opinion about. We can look at scripture through some different lenses. Our life experiences may, may bring some things to light and the ways that we practice some stuff, but we don't have to make everything a hill to die on. Like, there's some stuff we don't have to agree about. It's okay. We can still be brothers and sisters in Christ and have a lot of disagreement. There's room for that. And so the idea is that in a lot of your conservative, overly conservative, fundamental churches, they're typically churches with two closed hands, right? They got two closed fists. It's like, love Jesus, believe everything we believe, and practice it the way we practice it, or you're wrong. And so they have two closed fists, and they want to punch you in the face with them, right? They just want to fight. Everything's a fight. Everything's a hill to die on. Let's go to battle over every little thing, right? Two closed hands. At the same time, then you have your more liberal or progressive, overly progressive churches, they tend to have two open hands, right? It's like, you know, we want everybody to feel loved and welcomed and wanted and come as you are and it doesn't really matter how you live and what choices you make and we don't really believe, whatever you wanna believe is fine. I mean, it's whatever. They don't, they don't have a closed hand at all. It's like just two open hands and again, they do some really great stuff but they don't believe anything. Like everything is debatable. Everything's up for change and so a healthy church should have a closed hand where we are conservative and even fundamental about some things, while at the same time, we have an open hand where we say, look, you and I are different. We're made in the image of God. God has wired us different. We have different likes and dislikes and we put emphasis on different stuff and that's okay, that's okay. And so our heart here at Vista, and I hope if, if you've been with us for any time you see this, our goal is not to be a conservative church. And our goal is not to be a, a progressive or a liberal church. Our goal is to be a faithful church. And we think that a faithful church means that we are conservative and progressive in the right ways so that more people, more people can hear the gospel and know the gospel and be welcomed in for the glory of Christ, right? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful today for 
some very faithful Christians who have gone before us that have handed to us um, this received faith. Father, that they did not stray from it, that they held to the truth of the gospel that was handed down to them. And that God, we acknowledge today we are recipients of that received faith. We don't get to make it up, we don't get to change it. And then we put our faith solely in your finished work that was handed down. But God, we're also grateful today for some very progressive Christians that have gone before us, that have helped the church progress and change and reform over the decades and over the centuries. Because God, the truth is that without them, none of us would be here today. And so Father, as a church, we just ask for help as we sort of navigate, and, and we don't resolve the tension, God, but we learn to live with the tension. God, we pray that we would be conservative in the right ways, and that we would be progressive in the right ways. God, so that more people can hear the gospel and more people can be welcomed in for the glory of your name. So God, we just ask for your help in that. Help us to be a faithful church. In Jesus' name. Amen.